Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, episode number 92. At the time of this recording, Bitcoins are trading at $1,466 each. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Now that's gravy. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, and thanks for joining me as I podcast from Nashville, Tennessee, the Bitcoin blockchain epicenter of the South. I'm your host, John Barrett, here each week with my trusty dog, Maxwell, right by my side. Say hello, Maxwell. <laughs> We're two Bitcoin enthusiasts who love talking with people about Bitcoin and blockchain and sharing what we learn with you, the listener. Our longtime listeners, thank you once again for supporting the show with your tips. And new listeners, we hope you enjoy the show. On today's show, I am privileged to be speaking with Stuart Lackey, a graduate student completing his master's degree in healthcare informatics at Lipscomb University, right here in Nashville, Tennessee, the Athens of the South. In the second half of the show, we talk about cryptocurrencies and the changes we see coming in the not-too-distant future. Listeners, today on the show, I am thrilled to have here with me in the Treehouse studio, Stuart Lackey. Stuart moved to Nashville in 2000. For 15 years, he's been in the surgical device pharma industry in sales and marketing. He's an entrepreneur, an investor, and he's currently completing a master's in healthcare informatics at Lipscomb University here in Nashville. Stuart, welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy. Thanks so much, John. Oh, yeah. Thanks for being here, sir. So do you mind if I read really quickly? This is a program description that you emailed to me. Sure. Okay, Go for it. I like the way this sounds. Uh, for this program, the curriculum is designed to enhance the understanding of the relationship between people, health, information technology, and the broader healthcare system as an emerging discipline which evaluates the acquisition, storage, retrieval, and use of health data. Informatics plays a vital role in enhancing the quality of care, reducing healthcare costs, and addressing current health issues. Hey, Stuart, this is timely stuff, man. So let's start with how did you get involved in this program? What prompted you to take this curriculum and what's your educational background prior to this that led to this? Wow. Okay. Where to start? So my undergrad is in political science, believe okay. it or not. And so from there, people often ask, well, how in the heck did you get into healthcare? You know, with a history, political science background. And quite frankly, it was out of curiosity. I moved to Nashville in 2000. I actually was in the broadcasting industry. I was in uh, sales and sales management uh, for a radio company here uh, locally in Nashville. And You've got a good voice for radio. Well, man. I don't know about that. Face for radio, right? Is good face this, for radio. That's, that's right. what I meant. Um, <laughs> but no, my family kind of, uh, I grew up kind of as a radio rat with my family in the radio business back in Western Kentucky. But anyway, 
saw that a bunch of colleagues and friends that I associated with here in Nashville were in the healthcare industry and, and, you know, we're having a good time with it, making good money. And I'm like, well, you know, if I'm going to be in sales as a young person, I want to leverage my time best I can. So I started investigating and, and got into um, healthcare sales, first in pharmaceuticals where I met my wife, which was great. Nice. And then shortly thereafter, made the transition into surgical devices and really have spent the majority of my professional career in, in devices. So really from the surgical device standpoint, it was intellectual curiosity of just really learning, you know, about healthcare. And I didn't really have a background. So I went to school basically and was a ferocious student um, in my specialty, which was predominantly orthopedics and spine. So studied anatomy and got really familiar with healthcare from that standpoint hmm. um, and did that and kind of put my nose to the grindstone for the last 11 years. My wife and I both have actually been in that, that industry. Um, about three years ago, a very good friend of mine who's a CEO of a uh, healthcare analytics company here in Nashville, Jason Moore, he's with Stratasan. Um, he and I were just talking. We're lifelong friends from back in Kentucky. And I said, Jason, I'm thinking about going to get a master's degree. Should I get my MBA? What should I do? He's like, you know, you've got the business background. Go get an informatics degree if you can find one. So I looked around and Lipscomb really had the only one that was available <laughs> for someone without an intensive academic healthcare background. <laughs> um, so Lipscomb had the program and I enrolled and, and kind of the rest is history from that standpoint. Um, relative to blockchain and cryptocurrency, about, uh, oh, about eight months ago, a good friend of mine said, hey, you need to come meet uh, some folks this Friday. There's a meetup on blockchain. And I was like, what the heck is blockchain? <laughs> and so I, I went there and met John Bass and met Giles Ward and, and this kind of this new educational process for me just started roughly July of last year. Nice. And then it really accelerated in October when the uh, distributed healthcare conference was here in Nashville. Did you go to that? I did. Oh, nice, And man. so talked to a ton of people, listened to lectures and thought, you know what, there's a lot of utility here. Yeah. Um, it's a great conference. It was, I, I think it's one of the best conferences I've attended healthcare conferences ever. Really? And, and not bad for an inaugural event, right? And they suspect that it's going to be, uh, you know, twice as big this year, which I think it will be. I do too, man. Yeah, it's exciting. So it is exciting. Here so, in Nashville, folks, yeah. don't miss it. When is that? Do you remember September? It's September right? 24th to the 26th. I may be off by a couple of those dates, but it's going to be at the Skirmerhorn again. I think there's some satellite uh, locations for some of the breakouts and other things they're going to do throughout those three days. But. Listeners, in case you don't know, the Skirmer Horn here in Nashville is our symphony center, which also Beautiful. serves as a great venue for this event. And gosh darn it, they had everything perfect last year, the food and the drink afterwards and yeah. uh, all of the panels and all of the great lectures that were yep. delivered. It was really phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, they really did a good job you know, pulling together the speakers and, you know, the sponsors, obviously. So I'm looking forward to that. But, you know, I left there with a lot of optimism, John, mm -hmm. but also overwhelmed as hell. Like, yeah, where yeah. do I go from here? But one of the interesting things I did pick up while I was there, um, I had a chance to, to speak with a physician who was, I think, from Baltimore. And he sat down with me for a good 30, 45 minutes and explained cryptocurrency to me best he could from nice. his experience. Nice. And, you know, what Bitcoin was. And the wallet that he used at the time really prompted me. To, to dig deep and start buying cryptocurrency. Okay, nice. Yeah, uh, Bitcoin and, and Ether. Yeah. So I, I think my first cryptocurrency purchase was October the 12th of last year. Nice, man. So it was a nice Q4, as we all know, in the cryptocurrency world for, for Bitcoin and Ether as we kind of rode that up in Q4 of last year. It's funny. I meet people all the time. They're like, man, I wish I had gotten in. It's too late. I'm like, no, 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 no it's not too late. This is still the beginning, <laughs> baby. <laughs> oh, Absolutely. Man. So go ahead, man. Uh, so from there, uh, again, I've just been steadily buying cryptocurrency and again, I'm 
almost finished with my program. I've, I've got a, a few classes left, but I'm finishing or uh, doing my capstone project. Okay. And so, you know, the advisors at Lipscomb, great guys uh, and gals over there. Um, I went to them and said, I want to try to do this capstone project on blockchain. Am I biting off more than I can chew? And, you know, from someone who doesn't know a lot about it. And, you know, the advice I got was, hey, you know, go, go for it. There's not a ton in the published literature which is really kind of concerning, but also kind of cool at the same time, because there's a lot of great questions to ask that haven't been answered. So, yep. so I'm in the process of putting that together and uh, we'll see where it goes. So conversations nice. like this and experiences and the published literature, are hopefully going to take us to some good places with that project. So. Nice, man. You know, a lot of people don't know about Lipscomb. Uh, first of all, Nashville is considered the Athens of the South. And That's right. Garrison Keeler once said, you know, if Nashville is the Athens of the South. Where's the Athens of the North? I love his sense of humor. <laughs> but, you know, that, it's for that reason, uh, you know, because we have so many great universities here, yeah. you know, it is a great educational center here in the South. And most people don't know about Lipscomb because it's a very small school, but it is a very highly regarded school in many different areas. How did you choose Lipscomb? I'm just curious. Quite honestly, just from research, I'm in my early 40s now. So I knew, you know, doing something online I could probably do from, a, you know, an institution like Northwestern or some, if, you know. But for me, I wanted a bricks and mortar experience. Um, and Lipscomb, honestly, is the only, at the time, is the, was the only informatics program that was offered to someone that wasn't a nurse or a physician. I think Vanderbilt has a nursing informatics or a bioinformatics program. But yeah, I also, you know, just really gelled with the advisors and with the director of that program. Beth Breeden is the director of that program and Kevin Clausen is also on faculty. So the two of them really kind of helped me you know, funnel that decision. So nice. Now, are you allowed to dance there? It used to be. You could, <laughs> it used to be you couldn't dance at Lipscomb. Isn't that know. true? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, my, my time spent there is on a, a Friday night and then all day Saturday. Right. You know, so I, I don't really you know get the full <laughs> campus experience, but I'm I'm sure they have a good time. So, yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, that's great, man. So now the end of your program. Mm -hmm. What are the requirements that you're taking care of right now, and how long till you graduate? So I, I've got three classes. I think my last class is over in um, November. Maybe mm -hmm. late November. And so that's nine hours left. The Capstone Project is essentially a 35 page thesis, if you will, um, that's a deep dive on whatever the project or subject matter you're going into. And okay. then there's an actual presentation in front of faculty. So it's not like a doctoral presentation. It's not that r rigorous, but there is rigor in, in, the, um, in the project. So, okay. so there's you know, milestones of completing that throughout the rest of this year, but that's all going to happen in, in Q4 of this year. So. Okay. Cool. So informatics, how long has this field been around? Not that long. I would say probably in the last five, maybe maybe 10 years for, okay. for people that, you know, early adopters and aggressive programs and, and universities. But um, it sounds like a big, intimidating, sexy word. But honestly, it's basically leveraging technology and human beings into creating a more efficient healthcare output. Whether that's better outcomes, lower cost, it's basically increasing the quality of care and decreasing the quantity required to complete that episode of care, if that makes sense. Anything from, you know, a primary care visit to palliative care when someone's in final life stages um, and, and everything in between. So there's a lot of buzz around it. You know, big data is a, is a word we hear a lot at, at a lot of these conferences. And, you know, and that's part of it. It's, it's how do you take all of the technology that's available and increasingly available and making it work more efficiently for, in this case, healthcare. Okay, so informatics. Mm -hmm. Now, 
in your imaginings moving forward over the next, let's say, five years for you, you're still a young man. What do you imagine you might be doing with your degree and with your background? Yeah. And in the blockchain sphere, I know, right. first of all, you know, they're not using the word, they're not using the word Bitcoin anymore. The word Bitcoin is now taboo. You can't say Bitcoin or you'll be ridiculed. You have to say blockchain. Yeah. Right. Which is very, very sad. You know, it's yeah. an abandonment yeah. of the beautiful word Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm going to have to change the name of my show to blockchains and gravy or something. Blockchain, no. blockchain and gravy. I, I think, and I was reading a white paper last night about kind of the misnomers and like there were three or four different definitions of what Bitcoin has been, what it is and what it potentially will be. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think Bitcoin blockchain kind of, that's kind of how I refer to it, unless I'm having a, a specific cryptocurrency conversation where, you know, it's Bitcoin. But to answer your question about where do I go from here? What do I see myself doing with this program? I, I think the possibilities are endless. Um, you know, if you look at a kind of a cross section of, of, different students who've completed this program or who are in it. Mm -hmm. I think they're up to their 10 co 10th cohort now, if I'm not mistaken, okay. at the time of this recording. So, um, you know, there's, there's folks in there that are like, you know, industry people like me, there's, there's students that are working for HCA and other hospital networks that, mm -hmm. you know, and everything, you know, in between. And for me, because blockchain, um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe talking a little bit more about this, but I think there's so much upside, John, uh, with blockchain. I could see myself, you know, heading up business development for a blockchain based company. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's consortia out there like Hashed Health uh, yeah. that are leading the way and trying to pool, you know, uh, companies and ideas um, to create the companies of tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of use cases that are being built right now yeah and they you know i've heard people talk about you know 2017 is the year of you know kind of trial and error i think it'll take a little bit longer but sure. I, I think you know two three years down the road we're going to see some amazing you know developments in this space and you know i i hope i can be a part of that a small part of that for sure i imagine you will be you know the funny thing is that you can talk to so many people that have no idea that this even exists right. they are completely 100 percent ignorant which you know they're busy with their careers they're busy with their families right. they're not supposed to know about it how would they know right. about this new tech they can't but i think there are a lot of people that when they find out about this three right. years from now and they realize, wow, this has been around for a while. Right. I think it's going to blow them away. Yeah. So that's um, who knows what's going to happen. But I will continue, and it will encourage other people to, you know, investigate this space and to learn. You yeah. Know, and just like I said, the, the published literature is it's growing, but it's it's fairly um, minimal in terms of you know what's out and what's available. Yeah. I think one of the big things that people have to kind of be guarded uh, with is that a lot of the things that are being generated right now are never going to materialize into actual blockchain, you know, applications. Very true. You know, marketable, yep. you know, applications. Yep. And that's okay. If we can learn from some of those failures and, you know, you, you hear the phrase fail fast, you know, if we can fail fast in this space and learn from them and leverage that, you know, who knows what can come, you know, from that. Right. Um, and along those lines also, let's keep our eyes open for the charlatans out there who are capitalizing on people's ignorance and promising the world to these startup companies or creating a startup company themselves and looking yep. for venture capital, not unlike the early internet where, mm -hmm. you know, you had these companies helping big companies build websites with the promise that once you have a website and you have a shopping cart on there, people mm -hmm. are going to be able to come here and they're going to be able to use your website. They're going to be able to buy your goods right from your website. It's going to be amazing. So all of these companies put all of this money in and they launched their website and then they sat back and they realized, wow, nobody knows I exist. Right. It's like being way, way, way out in the woods somewhere down a long dirt road. 
and you have to get traffic there. It's like, oh man, that one thing we didn't think about. How do we get traffic there? Right, right. right. One more thing on you know, just kind of the educational piece too, and and mm-hmm. and again, this is just where everything is right now. Blockchain was just first mentioned in the informatics program last year. Wow. Okay, and and not much dialogue and discussion because it's still so new. So I mean, people that think that, hey, this is not ground floor. This is majorly ground floor in terms of practical use cases, you know, and what the impact's going to be. So anybody that's saying, well, this is over my head, no, it's, we're all learning. There's, you know, the majority of us are all learning about this technology right now. Nice. And when you say it was mentioned in your course, mentioned by one of your professors just in passing sort of thing? Yes. So again, Kevin Clausen is, you know, kind of leading, you know, I guess the the investigation and, and he did a, one of the classes I took last fall, he, he had a PowerPoint uh, presentation and, and mentioned blockchain, and there was some discussion about it. And I suspect that that will continue to increase as we learn more about its utility. And absolutely, know. so hats off to him for you know yeah. taking it and introducing it. And you know, I'm excited to see what's going to come from it. Cool. So, what do you have there? So, again, this kind of goes back to the published literature. I mean, I, you know, depending on who you talk to. So, Gartner is a leading firm for research and advisory for technology, really worldwide, U.S. based. But they have some of the best write-ups and studies and and white papers on technology. And so they have some good stuff on blockchain, but this is just to give everybody an example. This is an article that was published in February of this year. And we were talking just a little bit ago, how to make the title of the article, how to make the most of a pointless blockchain project. <laughs> so really it's, it's kind of pointing to the fact that, you know, there's going to be a lot of miscues. There's going to be a lot of misfires. It's okay. And, and really that blockchain, while it's, you know, exciting, and we're all riding this kind of this hype cycle. Um, you know, they talk about the Gartner hype cycle. Uh, we're almost at the pinnacle of it. Talking about this article, when you look a little more closely at it, um, some of the key findings, you know, these are just some of the bullets, and I'll read these because I think it's poignant. So yeah. first bullet, hype around about blockchains has prompted many enterprises to undertake blockchain projects that amount to deployments of technology for its own sake rather than to solve actual business problems. <laughs> and then and then one of the final kind of key findings, nevertheless, it's often still possible to derive value from such pointless projects, even when they are already underway by understanding the technology and making mid-course corrections. So nice. again, Gartner is pointing the fact that, hey, there's going to be a lot of, like I said, miscues, but you know, there's hopefully going to be some stuff we learn from it. And yeah. I think the other point is, is that not every solution in technology and business is a blockchain solution. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's, that's right. That's a big discussion right now. You've got all these companies like, hey, they're 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 basically pointing to people in their in their organizations. And they are telling guys, essentially, or their their team, you go figure this out for us. Right, right. And let's figure out how we're going to play. Yeah. And, you know, the truth is, is that, is there really an application? Or, again, are they just trying to get ahead of the curve? And I suspect there's a lot of that going on. Yeah, I think they're trying to get ahead of the curve. They're they're afraid that they're going to get behind, of course. Right. And then, you know, there's the whole idea of public blockchains versus private blockchains. Bitcoin's a public blockchain. Ethereum's a public blockchain, I think. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) you know, so... Many companies are going to be using and are already using private blockchains, and those are going to be incredibly valuable, right? Public blockchains like Bitcoin definitely do offer some things that the private blockchains don't offer and vice versa. But I think overall, the public blockchains are going to be, and Bitcoin in particular, which I believe personally is going to be around for a long, long time, for as long as we have electricity. um, I think they're going to offer the most utility in terms of, you know, like a decentralized global consensus mechanism that didn't exist prior to 2009. Right. So what's your take on blockchain? What do you envision 
just one or two use cases in healthcare where blockchain could help us out? Well, no, it's a great question, and, and a lot of people are wrestling with that right now. I think, you know, there's there's a handful of them. I think probably the first one is that it comes to mind for me is uh, protected health information, PHI. Mm-hmm. And so who owns a patient's healthcare data? Mm-hmm. Well, the patient does, right? I mean, that's yeah. kind of the premise, right? They should, would, right. It should, right? Uh, does Cerner or Epic or one of the larger EMR platforms, you know, own it? No, they, they're a repository and, you know, they've made this case that, hey, you know, we're going to be your one-stop shop across a healthcare system or an IDN or, you know, a large office to be that institution's uh, healthcare repository. I, personally, I think blockchain has some huge implications for that. And whether it's a permissioned blockchain where, you know, the patient basically has their information and then they dictate when and who sees it. Yeah. Right. I like so that. if you go into your doctor's office, right, the thought is like, okay, they don't have access to your healthcare data unless you give them a key or unless you turn it on. And then when that episode of care is over or when that visit's over, you take that data with you mm-hmm. and you hold it. And so how does that, is that a permission blockchain? Is that, or is it widely distributed in an open blockchain? I don't know how that's going to work, but I think that's one use case that people are really digging in on. Yeah, Um, I think that use case can be applied to both public and private or permissioned blockchains, I think, yeah. There are a couple of other ones, you know, people talk about the Internet of Things in terms of, you know, a smart device like a pacemaker or something, you know, yeah. devices talking to each other in terms yeah. of, of healthcare and relaying, you know, vitals and, and health conditions at any given point in time. I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. One other company that I'd probably point out, and again, we can talk about tokenized anything in this discussion, but incentivizing patients um, to modify their behavior to increase or improve their overall health. I'll mm-hmm. give you an example. There's a company based out of Portland, Oregon called HealthCoin. Okay. Go check them out. It's it's They're pretty basic right now, but you can tell they've got something. I think it's going to be pretty pretty cool. They're out of Portland, Oregon, and they are targeting pre-diabetics. Hmm. So, you know, having that information, what if a pre-diabetic continued to alter his or her behavior and somehow, you know, got off their medication or reduced their impact on uh, on the healthcare system mm-hmm. and thus save cost, save, you know, potentially, um, you know, their own health or added years to their life, but take it one step further, incentivizing them with a token. Hmm. Okay? I, like I think about the applications for insurance companies. Mm-hmm. I think about applications for uh, employers, mm-hmm. uh, for governments. I mean, people talk about tax credits. Well, you got to be careful with this conversation, but you know, the thought is, or one thought is, if you have a good health record, should you be incentivized for that? Mm-hmm. From a tax standpoint, yeah. should you receive a tax credit, for example? So could tokenized healthcare incentive platforms be really cool for governments? I think that's pretty neat. I think it is. I also fear the dark side mm-hmm. of that, which we can all imagine. And that is, right. if you're not complying with, let's say, new standards that are established through legislation, if you're not in compliance, you're going to be taxed a little bit extra. If you're a little bit overweight, you're going to be taxed a little bit extra. And let's say that the smart device is you know, hooked up to your body, to your cortical node, and it's right. sending information to this wider, big right. healthcare. Let's call it Disney healthcare. Right. And you know, Disney MGM healthcare monitors you, and they will tell you, we've noticed that you had three pieces of pie this week. You're pre- <laughs> right. Your premiums are going to go up unless right. you reduce your intake of sugar. And, you know, we could see a world like that. Actually, I'll be honest, I kind of think we're going to see a world like that. And that scares me, but 
the good news is that I'll be dead. <laughs> Everybody else can figure it out for. They can figure it. They'll point. be fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. No, the uh, you know the insurance companies. I don't. You may have gotten a notice from your car insurance. They you know they have these smart devices now. They can place in your car and they incentivize you if you know your average speed is less than whatever or you know they can monitor your behavior basically and they're promoting incentives for <laughs> yeah, for man. good driving. So it's yeah, I mean there's always a you know a, a pro and a con side to some of these debates. Um, yeah. And, and who knows what those indicators would be from a health standpoint, right. right? I mean, and just because you didn't meet a certain BMI or cholesterol rate, would your taxes go up in that in that setting, in a government setting? I don't know, but it'd be great if people had the ability to get some kind of tax relief in that example if they met certain milestones. If they yeah. could get lower insurance, you know, because you're always asked, do you smoke? And you say no. Whether you smoke or not, you always right. say no. But, yeah. you know, yeah, if you can prove that you are treating your body as you should be treating your body. Right. And that word should, you know, mm -hmm. gets into nanny state who decides right. what the should is. But, you know, if you're treating your body well and you're right. not abusing yourself, you're not overweight and you're able to get out and be active, then, yeah, if you can incentivize that sort of behavior, I think that'd be fantastic. Yeah. So yeah. where do we go from here? I think, you know, it's going to be conversations like this and, you know, much higher level. I mean, you know, I attended a, um, um, a conference last week downtown and, and the CEO of HCA was on the panel, uh, Milt Johnson mm -hmm. and Charlie Martin of Martin Ventures, who's mm -hmm. backing Hashed Health, uh, yeah. along with Finbushi Capital was on that panel. And Charlie has a very, he's very emphatic about the future of healthcare and the power of healthcare being transferred to the patient and, and blockchain came up in that conversation. And, but what struck me is, is that you know, I think the HCAs and the life points and, and some of the major players on the hospital side are looking at this technology. I don't mm -hmm. know personally how invested they are yet. I'm sure they're, you know, they're rationing and reasoning all that stuff, but mm -hmm. um, they're looking at it. And so to answer your question, I think, again, you look at this year, maybe into next year, people are trying to figure out, entities are trying to figure out where do we play in this realm. But you yeah. have people like Charlie Martin who continue to talk about blockchain and mention it on panels and, you know, personalized healthcare in terms of, you know, who's got the, the leverage, more people are going to listen to that. And I think that debate will continue to be refined. Yep. Um, yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Yeah, man. This episode of Bitcoins and Gravy is brought to you by our good friends at MoonshineBootWax.com. Made by hand in small batches right here in East Nashville, Tennessee, Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is the original, all-natural, non-toxic boot wax with a scent of orange. Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is a proprietary blend of American beeswax and other fine, all-natural ingredients. It's specially formulated to feed and protect your leather while also offering an excellent long-lasting shine. Whether it's your cowboy boots, your expensive wing tips, or your wife's favorite pumps, Moonshine Boot Wax is a must-have for gentlemen who care about their appearance. Moonshine Boot Wax is proud to partner with Community Food Advocates, a nonprofit organization working to end hunger by creating a healthy, just, and sustainable food system. Together with Community Food Advocates, Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is making a positive difference in the Nashville community, one shine at a time. You can buy your very own four ounce tin today by going to moonshinebootwax.com. And best of all, you can pay using Bitcoin. So your program at Lipscomb, what other courses are you taking that are requirements for this? Healthcare informatics, yeah. So it's everything from, you know, a legal course on HIPAA, you know, a deep dive on that to contemporary issues to healthcare data mining. Um, 
predictive analytics. I mean, a lot of this stuff, and I, I be honest to whoever's listening, I mean, I don't have a technical background other than my exposure to, you know, medical device specific mm-hmm. to that. So a lot of the technology, the IT stuff, mm-hmm. I've really had to dig deep and kind of go back to school in a big, big way because mm-hmm. I didn't have a background in that. So a lot of the, the healthcare, the IT stuff, taking big data sets and making sense of them, taking data that's where the formats are not congruent or, or don't align. How do you take just complex raw data and assimilate it and make sense of it and be able to draw conclusions? from it, you know, there's a lot of that in there as well. It's a really good cross-section of what the name of the degree implies, right. I, I would say. So getting a degree in healthcare informatics, what advantage do you think that a student yourself would sure. have over people in your profession that do not have that degree? Well, I, again, you talk about, you know, the overall conversation around spending money on formalized education, you know, where's that money best spent in terms of your future, right? A right. career. Return, uh, yeah. Your return, right? And that's not, certainly that's not the only lens to look through, <laughs> right. but I think it's boundless. I mean, you know, there's possibilities if you're a programmer, getting that extra exposure to the healthcare side. Uh, there's physicians that could go through that or nurse practitioners. Um, you know, Lipscomb combines the pharmacy degree. So a lot of the students in there are farm majors or getting their pharmacy degree hmm. along or their PharmD degree along with their informatics healthcare informatics degree. So it's a combined program. So the pharmacy piece is huge. You got a lot of future pharmacists going through that program, okay. uh, which is which is really neat. So yeah, anyone that has an interest in furthering their exposure to healthcare technology mm-hmm. and the impact that technology will have in the future mm-hmm. on healthcare, it's a great program to invest in. That's my opinion, having gone through it. It's been a huge ad for my bandwidth. Nice, man. Yeah. So let's jump over real quickly sure. in the last part of the show and talk about cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency. It's all crypto, baby. So you're invested in Bitcoin and you're invested in Ethereum. And Litecoin and Dash and Zcash and uh, Ripple and nice Monero. And Monero, too. Yeah. yeah. You know, I have a really sad Dash story. Do you want to hear it? Sure. I'll just give it to you in a nutshell. So <laughs> I had 700 Dash. This was about two months ago. Okay. And um, I heard you can have a master node if you have a 1,000. And I'd actually forgotten that I'd interviewed somebody from Dash about this. A year ago, I just completely forgot that. I looked it up and I was blown away by my um, forgetfulness. And so I ended up going ahead and getting the other 300, buying the other 300 dash that I needed to get the thousand. And I was set up with this guy to do a show uh, about how to set up a master node. He was going to help me on the show live, you know, quotation marks, set up an, a master node. And I was very excited. And then uh, two weeks went by before the interview, and I just started reading more, started reading about Zcash, started reading about some of the others. And I thought, man, I just think to have this tied up in a master node just doesn't make sense for me. I need to diversify, take some of this because the price was going up. It was at about $20. I need to diversify. So I ended up canceling the thing the guy got mad at me questioned whether i even had a thousand <laughs> at any time i actually sent him a screenshot to show but um <laughs> you know i was like do i owe him a screenshot dude i don't owe you a screenshot but i sent you that screenshot did i not young man anyway so then i realized okay i need to liquidate some of this and when dash hit about 25 i started liquidating a little bit and then when it hit 28 I thought, you know, I don't have a lot of faith this is going to go up a lot higher. And so I liquidated almost all of it. Mm. Almost all. I Pretty much all but 100, just under 100. And then I got to sit there over the next 10 days or two weeks and weep as it 
climbed steadily up to and over 100. Over 100. So it was a very, 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 very painful time for me. I've had other painful times in the cryptocurrency world. I think that's probably my most painful. Mm. But I did take that dash that I sold and I did leverage it into other cryptocurrencies like Zcash that have done really well since then. So if I were to look at all the math, I still feel like I'm on the losing end, but <laughs> I'm I'm diversified more than I was before. Yeah. So when did you first start investing? And I say all that just to make myself feel better. That's good. Hey, I'm here for you. I started I bought my first Bitcoin in 2011 on eBay for I believe thirteen dollars. Oh, I have gosh. it. I have it logged somewhere. And I remember when Bitcoin was at three dollars each, and I talked myself out of going down to World Finance here, Fred on Gallatin Road, who I've gotten loans from in the past, and getting a three thousand dollar loan. I talked myself out of it. You know, I was going to buy a thousand Bitcoin at three dollars each. I talked myself out of it. I said, you know, you'll have Bitcoin. You don't know what it's going to do. You'll have this one hundred and sixty, hundred and eighty dollar extra bill on top of your bills every month. I talked myself out of it. Big mistake, right? On the other hand, you know, you don't know. Yeah. On the other hand, had I done that, I was heavily into Mount Gox at the time. Wow. Right, and only through listening to Andreas Antonopoulos did I pull out of Gox probably six to eight months before everything went everything went south. Yeah. So had I been a Bitcoin millionaire as it hit a thousand, mm -hmm. you know, in the faults rise up there with Mount Gox and the bots and all of that, you know, there's a good chance I would have kept it there and been overly confident and not listening to anybody strutting around as a millionaire, mm -hmm. you know, buying a new car, doing something foolish. Yep. I'm a used car guy. I always have been, always Love will it. be. Yep. But, you know, so there's a good chance that had I done that, I really would have lost. And that would have been much more devastating wow. to me than the idea that, oh, I didn't buy $3. You know what I mean? Oh, man. See, it's those stories. And again, you have the benefit of that experience that so many people like. And, I, you know, I'm not an early adopter on anything. I'm probably that next rung. Um, but you'll be looked at in 20 years as an early adopter. Well, yeah. But I, I know what you're saying. You know yes. what I mean? I mean, the yes. early, early adopters were 09. People like yourself, I would even put in that bucket. And we have the benefit of, of your experience and just listening to kind of that evolution. It's invaluable, you know? And, yeah. and I think we've, we're kind of in a next, and I think it's legitimate, quote, air quotes here, I think it's a more legitimate climb because you look at the number of wallets. Cambridge yeah. University just published a study on the number of wallets, and that study's available out there too if you just search for it. But yeah, you look at all those indicators, and it feels like something big is happening yes. across the space. And, yes. You know, you can talk about Bitcoin or Ethereum, but to me, it feels great. It's, you know, me too. I think it's a good time. I agree with that. And yeah, the early days were sketchy. The early days were scary. The early days, it was really hard to... Right learn anything. I remember going to YouTube and YouTube hadn't even been around that long, but going to YouTube and, and just searching and searching, trying to find some kind of video. Um, I remember a guy talked me out of mining Bitcoin when Bitcoin was low. He said, dude, don't do it. It's a waste of your money. You'll put all that money into the mining and all you'll be able to earn right now is a Bitcoin a day. <laughs> and so, you know, I thought uh, only a Bitcoin a day, they're at $3 or whatever they were at $2 at the time. I'm like, that's not even worth it. So, you know, that's another lesson, you know, is don't listen to people who are naysayers. Don't listen to people who say, don't try this. It's not worth it. Sometimes, you know, we need to be smart and listen, but the answer is do your own due diligence search and find out for yourself, do your own research find out, you know, if that guy that's giving you that advice is giving you good advice or giving you crappy advice. So yeah, you know, since then, I think I have now 88 different 
cryptocurrencies I'm invested in. Wow. You know, some of them are ridiculous. I don't even know what they are, like Boolberry. I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what that word means. Boolberry? <laughs> it's like, it reminds me of uh, like some cereal, Count Chocula yeah. or something. But Delicious. Yeah, delicious, man. <laughs> it's a blueberry sort of a coin. But yeah, so I'm invested in, in a bunch of those. But you know, it's crazy, man. Every once in a while, what was like Pink Coin? I don't know if you trade on Poloniex. So a couple of weeks ago, Pink Coin went up. You know, and you can't know this thing in advance. If you did, you'd chuck a bunch of money into it and, right. and cash out the next day. But it went up like 450%. So if you had a 1000 bucks in there, your 1000 bucks just went up 450%. So yeah. there are some substantial plays. Um, yeah. plays you can do, you know, and you can win big, you can lose big. I tell people that when it comes to the exchanges, my strategy is just put a little bit of some of my winnings from something else into a cryptocurrency that looks like it has some kind of viable tech or has some interest. Maybe it's in the gaming industry or maybe it's in some other industry that, you know, looks promising. And, you know, buy a little bit and just hold it. Hold it not for a year, but for two years, three mm -hmm. years, four years. If it ends up being worth nothing, then hopefully you didn't put too much into it and not a big deal, as a lot of my coins that I've bought over the years, or a number of them I've bought over the years, are equal to nothing now. Some of them don't even exist anymore. But it's that diversification, like you talked about, the coins that you have. Those are all, you'd mentioned like the top 10, right? That's smart. And you haven't put your life savings into that, right? You just put enough in there, and you've probably already seen some increase, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, again, I look at it kind of like a mutual fund play. You buy, you know, five or 10 of them to start yeah. and hold them. I think it's a great call and then leverage some of your winnings, you know, from, you know, Bitcoin or from Ethereum or Ether, I should say. And back uh, in and back. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let me ask you that too. So Ethereum or Ether yeah. has had a huge, huge upswing right? Yeah. over the last six months, seven months. Um, and I was listening to a podcast yesterday, um, and I can't remember. I think it may have been Unchained or one of the others. Mm -hmm. Is it okay to mention another podcast? Yeah, yeah, man. Okay, cool. The guy, I think, was the CEO of Ripple or the CIO of Ripple. And um, he they were talking about Ether. And the utility of the Ethereum blockchain was, and I think that's probably the, the biggest reason I want to get your opinion on it, is the reason why Ether has climbed. Because you've got Visa, you've got all these Fortune 500 companies that are like pouring money in and, and building their use cases on the Ethereum blockchain. And yeah. so is that a fair corollary? I mean, just because, it, so for example, let's say a year from now, you have 100 companies that have all established great use cases, and they're they're putting money and more research behind it, and they're building part of their business franchise on the Ethereum blockchain. Okay, yeah. it's done. Yeah. Is it safe to say that Ether will continue to rise because there's validity in that blockchain? Or what else would impact, hypothetically, Ether, the price of it? I mean, the other thing that impacts it, that always impacts it, is just <laughs> traders, you know. Speculation. Speculation, people trading, the fear and the greed, and then also the whales. I mean, how many people are you know, holding a million Ether coins right now, and can they, you know, influence the market? Yeah, they can. You know, are some of those guys part of the early development team? You know, is Vitalik himself trading on Poloniex? Vitalik, if you're out there, are you, sir, trading on <laughs> Poloniex? We want an answer now. No, but, you know, so, yeah, I think the, I think the market is going to make a big difference. I, I think at some point it's got to have some sort of a cap, I think, um, but, you know, where is that, man? You know, it's crazy to think about where it could go and where it's been. And, you know, I talk to people all the time when I say Bitcoin could hit 
$10,000 and they say, well, that's ridiculous. And I say, just consider that at one point it was worth 0.001 of a dollar, right? And then it jumped quickly from 0.001 to 0.01, right? And, you know, we're watching that decimal point move over and they say it is on a true exponential growth curve. So could it hit 10,000? Could Bitcoin hit 100,000? It absolutely could. You know, Bitcoin and Ethereum are very different in terms of the token aspect of it. Tell me more about that, because I think well, it's a great point. I mean, I'm not an expert, but I can tell you that Bitcoin is a deflationary currency or a deflationary coin, mm-hmm. right? Only 21 million will ever exist, right? Right. In the history of the world. And we're, you know, what, like halfway there. But I think what the final Bitcoin gets mined in like 2140 or something like that. I think it's right. We'll be dead. Yeah. You know, my clone will still be alive, but I'll be dead. That's good. Yeah. That's good. And there's uh, that. (laughs) There's that. (laughs) Right. So, um, but, you know, Ethereum, uh, there is no cap on the number of Ethereum as far as I know. And it's not the same model, you know. It is not considered to be necessarily a value transfer network. You know, you have the Ethereum virtual machine, and that is offering, what do they call it, you know, the first virtual computer for building applications and projects and platforms. So, you know, they are two very different animals, in my opinion. So can you build as much on Bitcoin as you can on Ethereum? Well, not today, but will you be able to in the future? I think so, absolutely. Um, which one has better security? I would say right now Bitcoin does. I tend to agree with the idea that Bitcoin is a decentralized, distributed, decentralized model for how we need to change to bring us out of this centralized paradigm that offers what? Well, a central point of failure oftentimes and offers people, you know, something that's truly peer-to-peer. We hope that Bitcoin can continue to be that. Some people argue that it's not anymore because of mining. I disagree with that. But when it comes to Ethereum, you know, there is the old thing that I used to harp on that they broke the initial social contract that they started out preaching. And, you know, what happened from there? Well, they hard forked and we have Ethereum Classic. So we do have, you know, the Ethereum Classic folks uh, who say, look, we offer the original social contract of immutability Mm -hmm. and we are not going to change anything because, you know, someone lost money or because, you know, we think that this is the best thing for the community. We're not going to allow this blockchain to be mutated in any way it is like the bitcoin blockchain it is immutable and it is indelible that's how they are presenting ethereum classic could that change are they going to hard fork you know what's going to happen with ethereum classic moving forward we don't know so people are saying now ethereum ether that's for corporate interests Mm -hmm. and ethereum classic that's going to be for the freedom fighters Ah, so (laughs) we have two very different schools and the freedom fighters you know you could say those are the crypto anarchists those are the people who just really see the revolutionists revolutionists or also just people who really do understand that whether it's going to happen with Ethereum Classic or not, really do understand that when you have decentralized systems, not all systems work best when they're decentralized, but there are some systems that work much better when they are decentralized. And, you know, it's a fair argument to say that governments could work well. Certainly there are models for governments that are decentralized models that could work much better than our current system. Because our current models right now, I won't even get off on the war thing, but, you know, I would say at this point in America's history, the Pentagon itself has much more power to control foreign policy, for instance, than the American people. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. 
the American people are supposed to, through Congress, decide whether or not we go to war. That's not to be decided by the Pentagon or the president, whoever it is. So we have things backwards and we're heavily involved in foreign entanglements. And I'll use some profanity here. God damn it, this could lead to World War III and it's scary stuff. This could take away the lives that we enjoy. And you know, for people in developing countries and countries that are living in turmoil right now, not a lot would change for them, but for people in air quotes, developed countries, this could radically change our lives and could bring a standard of living to us, a low standard of living that we've never seen before. So it's scary stuff to me. World War III, nuclear war, scares the shit out of me. Pardon pardon me for the profanity, folks. Hopefully your kids are in bed. I think the political side of this, and really it's, you bring up a good point. I think the other side of that too is on, on those third world countries, I think one of the first kind of mental realizations or I guess hypotheses that I had you know, around blockchain and, and cryptocurrency was, you know, Don Tapscott obviously wrote Blockchain Revolution and mm-hmm. I got a book, a copy of it right there. But, you know, he's got this democratization of everything that this has the potential to lift up so many people. And so when I started investing in cryptocurrency, I'm like, okay, I'm speculating on this. I see this as an international play for third world countries. Yeah. That that was my kind of warped or weird thinking. It's like, okay, my investment in cryptocurrency right now for me is an investment in the democratization of third world countries and societies that aren't bankable, that don't have yep. a, a republic or a democratized republic as, mm-hmm. as a governing body. So for me, I kind of look at it from that standpoint, but I can certainly see your side of it too. I also see implications. I was talking to a buddy that just started investing in cryptocurrency this week about things like voting. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. about in this country, for example, I don't care what political side you, you tilt on, our voter turnout is awful. You yeah. know, in, in America for presidential elections, for pretty much any election. But I think, what, 40 percent of vote voted for the president, yeah. maybe maybe a little bit higher or lower, uh, depending on the year. And why is that? Well, it's probably because of a few reasons. Inconvenience. Mm-hmm. I suspect if people could vote with confidence and trust with their handheld or whatever iteration of that device will be, yeah. man. That's right. I mean, I think people would vote. I think it'd be 80% north, you know? And so I think about, gosh, again, just the implications around that in terms of more participation in democracy. That kind of stuff is exciting to me. So That's exciting to me, too. I I think the other reason that people don't vote is because year after year they vote, and for a lot of people, nothing changes. I voted. I voted for the other party. Then I tried the other party, and nothing changes. Exactly. Yeah, so I think that's one of the reasons why people don't vote is they're disillusioned and, you know, they're just not happy with the way things go year after year. And there are some people that say, look, we're not living in a democracy anymore. We now have, uh, we now basically live in something like a corporatocracy, if you can right. call it that, where corporate interests trump. And now, you know, I feel weird using that word. The idea that people can have a voice, a democratic voice, through their elected officials mm-hmm. or even in their communities, it seems that greed so often now can kind of trump what is important in a community and you know you see it here in nashville where you have laws that are changed every day that make it easier for developers to come into neighborhoods and tear down historic buildings and nashville actually has a long history of tearing down historic buildings Mm -hmm. and it's very interesting history worth looking into one classic example is up there on west end where west end meets blair that is a walgreens that's there that used to be a beautiful historic building you know imagine tearing down a beautiful historic building to build a walgreens you know that is ridiculous but that's what we're seeing we're seeing 
the great ship America with greed at the helm. And thankfully, there are good people out there, people of conscience, people who have a moral compass that's pointing them in the right direction because they were raised well, whether they're religious or not. They were raised well. They were raised to believe that human life matters and that other people matter. Right. And, you know, when we lose that and when the profit motive trumps that, then I think we're in trouble. And I think that we're in trouble right now. Yeah. I think it's happened over a number of years and in technology, you know, to everything that makes it so great. Um, I think it's been the, the reason for a lot of this, this transition that we've seen in terms of people putting up this wall around them from a social standpoint, you know, for you and I are having a conversation, this has been great. Just, you know, sitting and talking with somebody, you know, in this format, but it's been great just communicating. And I, you know, I fear that we're creating a society where we're not communicating anymore and we're shouting. I mean, I I don't even watch the news anymore. I just don't. It's awful. It is awful. But you know, someone was saying last week about email influx. It was like, man, I got 60 emails today and they're expecting responses, you know, in in some, you know, short amount of time. I'm like, that's ridiculous. I mean, I'm going to put my foot down and say, I'd rather have five to six quality phone conversations in a day than sit and return emails that can't convey my sentiment or my intent or nice. maybe misinterpreted yes. by the receiver. Because yep. um, you can't look at somebody's eyes and see that through an email, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's impossible. So yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I just, neighborhoods like we're sitting in and others in Nashville, you know, they do offer the potential and the value of being able just to see your neighbors and talk yeah. to your neighbors. And I think it starts at a very grassroots level, man. That's our so. perception of where our country is, is our own reality and what we experience. And we've got to create that amongst each other. I agree. I think we have to not let ourselves be too isolated by spending too much time, you know, by ourselves at the computer or watching television. That isolation is not healthy. It's also antisocial. And then the other thing is we have to be, all of us have to be vigilant about watching what kind of information is getting to us, to our families and to our children. And is a lot of this conversation uh, fear-mongering right and is a lot of this conversation divisive is it meant is it designed to divide people so that I think in terms of us and them you know if I think in terms of us and them if it's my sports team right. you know if I'm in Europe and it's a soccer team every <laughs> yeah. little village whatever has their own soccer sure. team right yep. or here we have our sports teams if I'm thinking that way um, in terms of competing with those people and our teams better, that's fine, man. That's healthy competition. That's all good stuff. But yeah. when I'm thinking of my neighbor, you know, Dave that lives next door, and I'm glaring over at him because I know that he voted for someone I didn't vote for, right? then that's ridiculous. Then we're letting ourselves be divided because, you know, the truth of the matter is that Dave and I or whoever my neighbor is, we can't really change those big things right now. We can we can influence those things. But what we can change right now is knowing that Gladys down the street just had a stroke. And struggling. And struggling. And she needs someone to cut her lawn. Absolutely. And so we go cut her lawn. Yep. And we did something substantial. I think that's, uh, I think that's where we're at right now, man. What else can we do? Yeah. Well, regardless of what side of the ledger you're on, you know, from a political standpoint, I think the comments you just made are spot on. And I think, um, you know, having that filter up of what, of who you surround yourself with, uh, what you let into your, your house and to your kids and your family, what you see and listen to all those things. I mean, there's a guy, Jim Rohn is an old business philosopher who passed away about five or six years ago, influenced millions of people across the world, Tony Robbins and on down the line. A lot of the business guru 
guys that we've had over the last 15 years, one of their forefathers, like Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn was right there too. Hmm. Um, and he still has some great stuff that you, but just basic business, human philosophy. And, and he was really big on, you know, you are basically what you've allowed to come into through your five senses, you know, and that it sounds pretty basic, but it's true. Yeah. So, anyway. Wow. That's good stuff. Man. Yeah, yeah. And I love that you said, regardless of which side of the ledger you're on, yeah. the ledger, Ooh, that should be a new words. thing, man. Like I'm going to start adding that to the show. <laughs> Which side of the ledger are you on? You're either on the Bitcoin ledger or you're off. Yeah. <laughs> it's Ken Kesey. You're either on the bus or you're off the bus, pal. I love it. That's hilarious. Hey, great stuff, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, man. Great having you here today. So, listeners, you've been listening to Stuart Lackey, who is a student at Lipscomb University getting his master's in healthcare informatics. Stuart, I hope you will come back on the show sometime. You have a background in radio, you told me. Is that right? Uh, I do. My family owned and operated radio stations in Western Kentucky since the 30s. Wow. 1930s, and no longer in that business, but uh, but I kind of grew up as a radio rat. So That's yeah. neat, man. Back to the 30s. That yeah. reminds me of, oh, brother, where art thou? And they all gather around the microphone, the old ribbon mic. Absolutely. Actually, my wife and I cleaned out a storage room and found a, a number of old photos of my grandfather and his brothers all at uh, WPAD in Paducah doing wow. all it was live. Everything was live. The music was live. All of it oh, was. Man. It was it was a different time. WPAD sure. in Paducah. Yes. That's right, folks. You're listening to Bitcoins and Gravy, <laughs> coming to you live from WPAD, Paducah, <laughs> Kentucky. <laughs> That'll confuse people. Absolutely. I'm going to keep that in there. Yeah. Hey, um, Stuart, thank you so much for being on Bitcoins and Gravy, and I hope you'll come back sometime. I'd love to. Thanks so much. Take care, man. Bye. <laughs> I'd like to thank my guest on today's show, Stuart Lackey, a student of healthcare informatics, of blockchain tech, and a student of cryptocurrencies. It's people like Stuart that give me great hope in these trying times and keep me believing in the disruptive and constructive possibilities here at the dawn of the age of cryptocurrencies. Stuart, keep on keeping on, brother. And an extra special thanks to our sponsor, Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax, the original all-natural non-toxic boot wax with a scent of orange. The Nashville Wax Company is now offering Moonshine Miracle Residue Remover for removing stubborn, sticky stuff. Friends, it's like Goo Gone, but without the toxic petroleum-based chemicals. All Moonshine products are 100% natural and are available at 15 different fine retail outlets in the Nashville area, including the Country Music Hall of Fame store in the elegant Omni Hotel. To order a tin of Moonshine Boot Wax or a 4-ounce bottle of Moonshine Miracle Residue Remover, stay where you are, that's right, without even getting up out of your chair. Just go to MoonshineBootWax.com. Use your credit card, your debit card, or better yet, pay the modern way with Bitcoin. That's right, Bitcoin, the modern way to pay at MoonshineBootWax.com. And finally, I'd like to thank my loyal listeners. 
That's right. That's you for tuning into the show and for giving me such great feedback on SoundCloud and in the show notes. Your comments are always appreciated, as are the tips that you send to my Bitcoin wallet. I'm a hardworking guy with two jobs and without a lot of money, so every little bit counts. Even a 50-cent tip sent to my wallet goes a long way to making me feel that doing this podcast on a volunteer basis is worth it. It also helps keep the lights on and coffee in the kettle. Signing off now from Nashville, Tennessee, the Bitcoin blockchain epicenter of the South, I'm John Barrett, the host of Bitcoins and Gravy, here each week with my trusty dog, Maxwell Raskolnikov Coyote Rex, a.k.a. Max, right here by my side. Say goodbye, Maxwell. Until next week, friends, remember that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. Do something to help someone today, and I guarantee you, you will feel better about yourself, and you will sleep better tonight. Thanks, guys. Climb aboard, y'all. This train is bound for glory. And there's plenty of room for all. Well, Satoshi Nakamoto, that's a name I love to say. And we don't know much about him, but he came to save the day. When he wrote about the way things are and the way things are to be, he gave us all a protocol this world had never seen. A bit as you're going into the old blockchain Oh, Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain Going to rain Till everybody knows, everybody knows Till everybody knows your name Down the road it will be told about The death of old Mount Gox About traders trading altar coins And miners mining blocks But them good old boys back in Illinois And on down through Tennessee See, they don't care to be a millionaire They're just wanting to be free Oh, Bitcoin, as you're going into the old blockchain Oh, Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain Going to rain Till everybody knows, everybody knows Till everybody knows your name A promise to deliver us from age-old tyranny Oh, Bitcoin, as you're going into the old blockchain Oh, Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your Give me some exposure Everybody knows your name, sing it Oh, Lord, pass me some more Oh, Lord, before I have to go Oh, Lord, pass me
me some more Oh Lord Before I have to go You know, one other thing, too, back on the implications of blockchain in healthcare. You know, we talk about the need for research in, in this country and, and how it's collected, how data is collected. And one of the issues, and it's been cited in the literature, you know, they talk about the veracity of data and collection, the legitimacy of all the data that's collected. I mean, you can take any study, I don't care what sector, and you can control the data to get the outcome that you want, the result. And we see a lot in medical science. We see it in other industries as well. Well, what if the blockchain could take the lack of trust out of healthcare research in terms of when that data is collected, exactly what were the endpoints at a certain time and point from that patient. You're doing a cholesterol study or whatever your study is, you know, you can pick the, the subject. But what if it could take the lack of trust out of that whole equation? Well, it would make the data pure, which would give us better outcomes. And you know what? If the outcomes aren't what X company wants them to be, well, tough. You know, at least we've got the truth. So I think that's another great application. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>